turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. I'm joined by Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. Good morning, Senator. Good morning, Hugh. Good to be back on with you. Well, I am always happy when I can say you're too young to remember this because Tom gigs me about being old sometimes. But I like to get the senator when he's too young to remember something. The Labor Department is expected to report that the consumer price index rose 8.4 percent in March from the same month a year ago. Now, no one under 50 actually remembers this. I do. It's a nightmare. What do you hear in Arkansas, Senator? Um, Well, it's a nightmare to you. Uh, As you say, it's the highest... um inflation in more than 40 years. You're right. I, I don't remember it. I was only four at the time. Um, but uh, anybody over the age of 50 probably does remember it. And uh, it's just making families very stressed and very hard to manage their monthly finances. Uh, when you see this month over month inflation and core staples like groceries uh, and gas, uh, to say nothing of, of things like trying to um, buy a few toys for the kids or take them on a su- summer vacation as that season approaches well. Um, and it's all a direct result of Democrats' policies, Hugh. Um, you, know, you know, the early indicator of this, Senator, is that when my wife goes to uh, help my daughter out, who's going to have number four shortly, she wants to go grocery shopping. And that's because then grandma will buy the groceries. And that's always that's what we used to do. We used to drive to Ohio to get food during the 80s because, you know, grandma would buy groceries. She didn't want the little one not, not to it's eat. A good, it's, no, it's, a, it's a good indicator, Hugh. Um, and it really is a strain for working families and yes. families who are just, start, just starting out. Um, and a lot of families are having to make very difficult choices. And, again, it's all a result of the Democrats' policies. You know, we've had this pandemic for two years. We didn't have inflation like this uh, during the Trump administration. It's only once Joe Biden came into office and Democrats started locking everything down and spending trillions of dollars that, of course, you got inflation. Yeah, you threw four trillion on the Barbie and, and sure enough, it blew up. Senator, let me ask you about the uh, armed services budget uh, because you're on armed services. There is a inflation number plugged in there that is risible. And so what are you going to do about it? They're not funding the military. They're cutting the military because they, they want to give more money away. Yeah, well, so, Hugh, just at the, at the nominal level, before you count for inflation, remember, they're spending more money on basically every department of government but the military, which is the exact opposite of what we should do. You should always start with what's most vital and most fundamental first. And for the federal government, that is the protection of our nation. We have to have a budget that matches matches our strategy that is suited to our threats, not a strategy that fits our budget. And then we can decide what we have remaining that we can spend on other priorities. But as you say to you, when you count for inflation, it is an actual cut to the Department of Defense. So, so just as last year, the Congress added $25 billion to the uh, defense budget with the President tennis, I suspect we'll do the same this year, maybe even more um, as the threats have multiplied over the last year. 
Well, I'm worried about the enlisted uh, guy or gal who's down there at a private or a corporal rank, and they're looking at 8.4% and what they call the exchanges of the PI. They can't, they can't live on that, Senator. You've got to raise yeah, the... No, Hugh, I've, I've been in a situation where I've had young privates uh, who are struggling to make ends meet. You know, we have to find a way to get them a short-term loan or get them aid from the Army Emergency Relief Fund um, because something as simple as a radiator breaks um, or a refrigerator goes out. Um, to say nothing of the fact that when they're facing 8% monthly inflation, they can't even afford the baby formula anymore. It, it, it's, it's a genuine pressing problem. I know you're on it. Let me turn to Ukraine, Senator. Uh, the Ukrainian foreign minister said in the Donbass, we are going to see battles that approach World War II scale. Do you believe that? If so, do you think Ukraine can hold on? Um, I, I do believe that the battles will be of a different nature to you in the Donbass than they were in northern and northeastern Ukraine. That's because the territory over there is much less restricted, much flatter, much more suitable for combined arms maneuver warfare of the kind that Russia would like to engage in, whereas uh, in and around Kiev, for instance, the um, Ukrainians had the advantage of more restricted terrain where light infantry could move using mobile weapons and strike their armor columns. The upshot of all that is Ukraine needs to fight a different kind of war in eastern Ukraine. They need different tools. Those tools are things like tanks and armored personnel carriers and heavy artillery. Um, we need to do everything we can to get those systems to them as quickly as we can. Now, they probably won't be American-made systems because the Ukrainian army hasn't trained on things like the Abrams tank or the Bradley fighting vehicle. But we need to assure our NATO allies who once were subjugated to the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact and therefore have old Soviet systems or other Eastern Bloc systems, that if they provide those tools to Ukraine, we can help them replenish their stocks. From open source stuff. Uh, I read the Wall Street Journal story on the defense of the air that the Ukrainians mounted using a a, a plaid quilt of machines and, and systems. Do you think they can hold off the Russian Air Force and, and maintain at least a fight in the sky, Senator? Uh, Hugh, I have no doubt that they can hold off the Russian Air Force and the Russian Army if we provide them with the weapons that they need. Um, the administration typically has been behind the power curve on this, behind Congress, even behind Europe. And that's not a good place to be. Um, they continue to worry more about you know, providing strategic off-ramps or improving Ukraine's position at the negotiating table. What we should be focused on is winning and victory in Ukraine. And that means Ukraine needs the weapons to fight their own war. We also see that the colonel general and head of the equivalent of the CIA has been jailed by Putin. And that others are in it. What does that tell you, Senator? Um, well, it's not good for that colonel and those generals uh, yeah. <laughs> to have been high-ranking intelligence officers in Russia and to be going to jail. I think it shows there's a lot of dissension in the ranks, Hugh. Um, you know, the, uh, the FSB, their main security service, was primarily given the task of pacifying cities through a combination of subversion, bribery, um, and uh, tools of violence. Um, I, I think that there's probably, just like in any government, a lot of bureaucratic infighting leading up to this war. And now there's probably about who was responsible for what and who could accomplish what. Um, I think now there's probably a lot of bureaucratic finger pointing at why everything has gone so wrong for the Russians. Well, one of the stories I read is that they gave a lot of cash away with the expectation they would buy Ukrainian officials compliance with the invasion. And that didn't materialize. So they're wondering where the cash went. 
and maybe it never left Russia, right? Because everybody steals <laughs> everything. Well, it might have, yeah, it might have gone in those intelligence officers' pockets, or at least the share of it might have gone in those intelligence officers' pockets. Anyone who knows something about the Russian system wouldn't be surprised by that. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think it's a testament uh, to Ukrainian officials from President Zelensky on down to um, provincial governors and local mayors and security officials that they did not allow Russia to use its typical methods of subversion um, in the early days of this war. Now, uh, uh, Senator, you are an Army vet, and I asked Admiral Stavridis this earlier. The new head of the Supreme Allied Commander and European Command is an Army general. That makes seven out of the top 11 combatant commanders is Army. Do you worry that that's imbalanced, even as an Army guy, that, you know, General Austin's Army, and now the chair is Army, and now seven of 11 of the combatant commanders are Army? Yeah, I do worry that that's an imbalance to you. Obviously, it needs to be more than seven uh, army. <laughs> uh, no, no, Hugh, I don't. In fact, I, I think uh, given what you see uh, in uh, Ukraine right now, um, I think it, it's a smart choice to have someone with so much ground combat experience, someone who's experienced with um, the Europe uh, or the U.S. Army in Europe. I think that's a, a wise choice. And uh, I, I know that... Um, there's always a, a friendly rivalry between the services, but a lot of these positions turn over routinely on kind of a rotating basis. Um, and obviously there are other commands where, you know, you have uh, generals or admirals from the other services where it's more suitable to the train and the kind of fight you see, for example, uh, in the PACOM, which is traditionally a, a Navy command. Okay, now let me switch over to politics. Uh, President Trump endorsed Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. There's been blowback there. Coming up earlier in this hour, I had on Jane Timken. Yesterday I had on um, uh, J.D. Vance. After you, Matt Dolan, also running for the Ohio Senate seat, currently occupied by Rob Portman, will be coming on. Matt Dolan up from the Cleveland area. Have you gotten involved in either the Pennsylvania or the Ohio race, Senator? I have not, you. Um, you know, I have tended to... Uh, um, get behind uh, this cycle, mostly young, young veterans running for the House, uh, where I think they can use the most help um, to get off on the right foot. It's usually their first time in the, uh, in the race in these uh, large multi-candidate primaries. Um, i uh, confident the, vote, the Republican voters in those states are going to pick someone who's not only suited to their state, but also can win in November. Now, Dave McCormick is a veteran of the 82nd Airborne. He's older than you. He was in the 91 war, and you were in the 2003 war. He's got the Bronze Star. Is there, a, is there anything that recommends to you his service? I mean, that would have him stand out in your mind because of that service? No, I, no, I know. Uh, simply because I haven't gotten involved in these races, Hugh, doesn't mean I'm not following them or don't know some of them. I know Dave well. I think Dave would be a fine senator. I, I know Carla Sands in that race as well. She's the former ambassador yeah. to Denmark. In Ohio, I, I know almost all of those candidates and think highly of them as well. Um, no, you're so in my box. Races. You're in my boat. Yeah. You just like them all. I, I, I follow the races closely. Uh, I'm not saying that I won't get involved in some of these races around the country as primary season progresses, um, but I'm confident the Republican primary voters in these states are focused uh, on the ultimate goal here, which is to make sure we have candidates who will win in November and then be strong senators for them in Washington. Last question, Senator Cotton. A couple of weeks ago, you said we'd all be better served if President Biden just stayed inside. And he has not heeded your advice. And we had this train wreck of a press conference on ghost guns and prostitution yesterday. It was just wild. Uh, any chance that anybody on the Democratic side is going to take the message to him because he's not going to listen to us that just stay inside? Well, pro probably not, Hugh. I mean, I do think it would be better for all involved to include the president. Um, 
But, uh, you know, he's been a, a voluble man for 50 years in Washington. And uh, once you get to be that age, you tend not to change your stripes, I guess. I uh, tell you, it's not a good mix. Senator Tom Cotton, thank you. Send Tom Cotton on Twitter. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.